Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. Phyllis Favor listeners, it's Pastor Jonathan Mason right back here in the pastor's office, and we are truly honored to have in the pastor's office this Sunday, uh, right now, uh, the health commissioner for Philadelphia. Uh, he has been incredibly busy doing a great work for the citizens of our community, uh, but we are thankful that he had some time to dedicate to us today uh, to provide some very useful in- information and answer some questions for us. Uh, we want to welcome Dr. Thomas Farley into the pastor's office. Dr. Farley, welcome. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Listen, Dr. Farley, I know that uh, this has been an unusual time over this last year. As a matter of fact, I was telling my congregation uh, this morning that if we just took a moment to think, uh, we are coming up on the one-year anniversary of COVID uh, and a one-year anniversary of uh, members not being able to come into the sanctuary. Uh, it's been an interesting 12 months. I've just got to ask you, just human being to human being, did you ever think you would experience anything like this in your life? You know, it's the kind of thing that uh, we in public health uh, plan for, but I guess I, I never really believed this would happen. Uh, and uh, it's certainly been uh, been a rough ride for everybody. It's been a long year. We're not out of it yet, but um, but I'm hopeful that we're starting to see uh, glimmers of hope. Well, I know that you and the administration are working hard to make sure uh, that we're able to, as the mayor says, get get uh, 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 vaccinations to everyone here in the city. Can you talk to us about uh, the process that we're going through right now to make sure that everybody gets vaccinated? Right. So we... Uh, we have, first of all, it's exciting that we have vaccines and the, the fact that they were developed in about a year is really a miracle of science. Um, and, uh, but the problem is we only have so many. Uh, we're getting, we've been getting about 20,000 doses, uh, of first doses per week. That means we could accommodate 20,000 new people per week, uh, which may sound like a lot, but we've got 1.2 million adults in this city. So if you divide one or the other, you can think it may take 60 weeks to get every adult in the city vaccinated. I don't think it'll take that long because uh, I think we'll get more uh, vaccines as we go. Uh, but uh, it is, does give you a sense for that we're just getting started, and this is going to be a long, uh, long process. Uh, and so what we've done is we've uh, set priorities for people. Uh, we try to find the people uh, who, whose vaccination will save the most lives. Uh, and then what I've and, and we're going to go through that um, in a stepwise way. And so I've laid out goals for the uh, overall. Um, the vaccine rollout of threefold. One is to uh, get the vaccine we do have uh, into people's arms as quickly as possible. Second, to do it in a way where we save the most lives. So that would be the vaccinating people who are themselves at risk for serious infection, or there's somebody who may come in contact with people who are at risk for serious infection. And the third is to do it with racial equity, right? So we don't want to just be vaccinating people who are well off and, and uh, you know, uh, one racial group and, and have the virus circulating amongst other groups. Those three goals are not always easy to uh, achieve at the same time. We could get the vaccine out really fast uh, into low-risk people. That wouldn't do us much good. Or we could be really, really careful and only get it into high-risk people, and then we would have vaccines stocking up in, in our freezers. So we're, we're working on all three of those. So we've been through uh, mostly through what we call Phase 1A, which is uh, vaccinating healthcare workers uh, and people in nursing homes. Now we're in Phase 1B, where we're moving into people over 75 and people who have uh, medical conditions that puts them at higher risk for serious infection, as well as certain uh, what we call frontline essential workers, people like uh, grocery store workers who are exposed to people day in and day out, and there's no way to avoid that. And uh, that 1B group is very large, about 400,000 people. We're going to slowly work our way through it. 
and the and the vaccine is going to be available through a variety of venues. It's going to be in hospitals, in clinics, um, in pharmacies, uh, and then we're going to set up some mass vaccination clinics of our own, and some of the hospitals will set up mass vaccination clinics. So a variety of different ways, um, and but mostly people right now are are waiting. Uh, we haven't been able to get it to most people. We vaccinated maybe not even 10%, which means the other 90% of people are waiting. But we will get to everybody eventually. Let's let's talk a little bit about the vaccines themselves. So uh, we know that we have Moderna and Pfizer. We know Johnson has now applied for uh, their uh, clearance for emergency use. I guess the medical profession has to be excited about Johnson & Johnson because that's only one shot. Um, but, but what we have right now, uh, are we able to... Uh, we know about the low temperatures that it has to be conducted or has to be uh, preserved at in order for it to be effective. Are pharmacies and the mass vaccination sites that you're speaking of uh, coming into existence, are they going to be capable to to preserve that vaccine so that we don't have waste? And that's something we've heard about across the country already. Yeah. So uh, the, fortunately, the uh, it's only the Pfizer vaccine that needs the ultra-cold storage, the minus 70-degree storage. The Moderna vaccine can be stored at like regular freezer temperatures. So the Pfizer vaccine uh, can be uh, stored at um, maybe, uh, I don't know, let's say eight or ten hospitals across the city, and then plus we have those freezers. But that really does limit where we can use that Pfizer vaccine. But the Moderna vaccine uh, is uh, much more easy to be moved around because it doesn't need that ultra-cold storage. So uh, most of the sites you're going to hear about are going to use the Moderna vaccine, and the hospitals are mainly be using the Pfizer vaccine. So it's not ideal, uh, but uh, we can work around it. So have you been uh, experiencing a lot of what we would call vaccine reluctance in various communities? And if so, how are we combating that? How are we getting the message out that the vaccine is safe, that it's okay? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. We have um, a group of people who are very eager, almost desperate to get the vaccine and are fighting hard to get it. We have another group of people that maybe they could take it or leave it, and then another group of people that just do not want this at all. Uh, and I would ultimately like everybody to get the vaccine. And so, so we have the vaccine hesitancy at the same time we have the vaccine eagerness. And it is true that African Americans appear to be much uh, more likely to be hesitant to get the vaccine. And I think that stems from, uh, let's be honest, you know, a few hundred years uh, of racism and uh, African Americans not being treated fairly in this society, and they're not trusting the health care system. So I can understand that. Um, I do think these are very safe vaccines. I think they're important for everybody to trust. <laughs> excuse me, to trust them. So we are working with um, opinion leaders such as yourselves, in particular the, the black clergy, to talk to them about these vaccines, answer their questions, and if they are comfortable and if they meet our priority groups, uh, then we'll vaccinate them, uh, and then they can talk to their congregation about it. And that's um, you know that's going to be a slow process. It's not going to change overnight. But it is important to us, and we're really going to continue to work at it. Now, how can and, – and, and again, Philly's Favor is a gospel radio station. Uh, we've got one of the great clergy, uh, Philadelphia clergy leaders coming up after you on the show today and the person of uh, Dr. Wayne Croft. Uh, but how can other uh, uh, clergy, other religious leaders in the city get information uh, about being a part of that group uh, that provides positive messaging about this vaccine? Because heretofore, I hadn't even heard that there was an effort to reach out to black clergy. You know, I've um, spoken myself to some of these um, organizations and associations, but I'm sure there's many. Uh, and uh, I'd actually be interested in, in your telling me, maybe after the show, what's the best way for us to contact the folks that we haven't been in contact with? Because uh, we, we do have people assigned specifically to, to do sort of opinion leader outreach. And, uh, and we want to know about it. So the folks that we're missing, we want to get in contact with them. But I think that that's really the key. Uh, and uh, so, so please let us know that. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. We'll definitely do that. Um, so we talked a little bit about uh, vaccine reluctance, about people overcoming uh, their fear of taking the vaccine. What have you seen? Because I really want to deal with this because I want our listeners to understand uh, uh, how important it is to get this vaccine. What have you seen as the overriding objection uh, outside of racism but the overriding objection uh, to putting that vaccine in, in, in people's bodies yeah, I think because these vaccines are new 
uh, and many people have medical conditions themselves, they think, I'm not sure that this vaccine is going to be safe for me. Maybe it hasn't been tested in enough people like me, and so I just think we need more experience with this vaccine. It's, it's new, and I'm just not sure it's been tested enough. And I will say this, that this vaccines were tested each in tens of thousands of people, all, all sorts of people of all ages, all races, uh, found to be very safe, and, and all those people tested. And at this point now, they've been given in this country to millions of people. And, uh, you know, there are very small people, a number of people who have a serious allergic reaction to this, very, very, very small. Uh, and we can identify many of those people in advance. Uh, but beyond that, there's been no new uh, bad side effects that have been identified uh, that weren't identified in the, in the studies leading up to the approval of these vaccines. So I do think we're getting a lot of experience where they're not so much new anymore. We really have experience with these. And so I'm hoping people, now that they see that they're out there, maybe now that they see their neighbor having gotten it, uh, they'll say, well, you know, maybe there's enough experience for me to, to take this. I got mine uh, two weeks ago, uh, my first dose. Uh, and the only side effect that I had was some swelling uh, in the arm. Other than that, I had nothing. I got on the pulpit uh, right after I got it. I think it was about three days. Uh, uh, I think I got it on a Wednesday. I was in the pulpit on Sunday. And I talked to my congregation about it. Obviously, we're meeting virtually. So I talked to them online, and I was inspired and encouraged uh, that some of my senior citizens made the decision to go forth uh, uh, and get this vaccine because they now have the opportunity. So I I think it's going to take a lot of that in order to convince folks. I'll tell you what I've heard as one of the over one of the prevailing objections. It's you know what, Pastor, I, I understand we've got a vaccine, but they've been trying to find a vaccine, a cure for cancer for years. They've been trying to figure out how to get HIV and AIDS out of the community for years. They haven't done that. How in the world did in a year they come up with a vaccine for COVID nineteen? Can you address that for our listeners? Well, you know what? Here's my way of saying it: this vaccine, this virus, is nasty. But it's not very smart. Uh, it, it turns out that it's pretty easy for us to teach the human immune system how to kill off this virus. Now, there's some other viruses that uh, are very smart, like HIV is very smart. We, we've been working at that for 30 years. We don't have a vaccine yet. Uh, but this is not a very smart virus. Uh, we, can, we can train the immune system to, to beat it. Now, the virus does change. And so maybe a year from now, we're going to have to get vaccinated again uh, in the same way that we have to get flu vaccine every year. Uh, but uh, but this vaccine it proved to be probably one of the easiest vaccines to to develop. Uh, and, and getting back to your experience, let me just point out: uh, you've had the first dose. You're going to get the second dose in either three or four weeks later, depending which one you got. After the second dose, you probably will have some more side effects. The, the next day, you may feel a little lousy, a little tired. Uh, you might even have a little low-grade fever. That's normal. That's a sign of your immune system. Uh, going into action, going to work to be prepared for the virus when it sees it. Uh, so don't be surprised by that. And that's not bad. That is just the normal part of the process. Now, I've seen conflicting reports. One report I've seen uh, regarding the virus itself is that, uh, or, or viruses in general, is that when they mutate, they get weaker uh, and, and easier to deal with. But then I've seen a report that this particular virus, COVID-19, uh, that the mutation potentially could be stronger, which in effect could possibly make the vaccine less effective or make us have to get vac- vaccinated uh, uh, more, the, more often. Than, uh, than not. Um, can you just share a little bit of information about what your research has uncovered? Yeah, so we know that the viruses uh, mutate all the time. They change, and um, they could make, in theory, make things more serious or less serious. It probably is true that typically a virus is going to mutate to be more uh, less serious because if people get sick, then they're not out there spreading it to other folks. So it's to the virus's advantage to have people walking around and infecting other people. Um, but then what we know has happened is that um, there have been mutations that have uh, uh, in the United Kingdom that made the virus more uh, easily spread, uh, but it's not the virus is no more, doesn't cause a more serious illness if you get it. But it's just uh, what I'm describing is stickier. When it, it, if it lands on the inside of your nose, it's more likely to stick there and infect you. Uh, but there's a more concerning, there's a virus that, uh, variant that has arisen in South Africa that is, uh, it looks like the vaccine doesn't work as well for that uh, virus. Vaccines do uh, provide some protection, but not as much protection as uh, the original vaccines and the original virus. And so uh, I don't think that that um, 
variant is any more serious, it's not more likely to kill you, but it may be that if you're vaccinated, it might not protect you against it. So right now that's uh, not a major problem in the United States. It is a problem in South Africa. Uh, may may never become a major problem in the United States. But I do think, uh, that's why I mentioned it earlier, it is entirely possible that we'll all need to get vaccinated once a year as the virus changes so that we can keep our immune system up to date with it. Uh, doctor, I appreciate that answer. Listen, I wanted, to, I wanted to go into another topic real quick that I think you can help me out with and help our listeners out with. Our children have been out of school in Philadelphia uh, for the better part of a year. Uh, I have a couple of school principals that are members of my uh, congregation. Uh, we've, they've been talking, obviously, with their union leaders uh, and have been talking with the city about getting back in the buildings, making sure the buildings are safe, making sure that the transmission rate is low uh, so that we can preserve life uh, in, as we attempt to go and teach our children again. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, uh, going back into these school buildings, how we are going to make it safe for teacher and student uh, as we move forward? Yeah, so I'm glad you raised that point because I do, uh, you know, I'm a pediatrician by training and I do really worry about the effect of, uh, on, this, uh, on our children being cooped up inside for all these, these months uh, and not having a chance to interact with other children and, uh, and really get the, the quality education you get in a classroom. Um, you know, while the public schools have uh, not had any in-person education all this time, the uh, parochial schools and some of the charter schools, some of the independent schools, have had in-person education. And so we have pretty good experience here. And it, most schools have done just fine. Now, there's been a few schools that have had clusters of infection. Uh, more often than not, it's a, a teacher or a child who brings it in from home and it stops right there. There's been some cases where there's been spread in the classroom, but it's pretty uncommon. Uh, and so I believe that we can make schools safe enough that we should do this. Uh, get the kids back in the classroom. Uh, the school district has uh, gone to effort to improve the heating and ventilation systems and also put in fans where they can't do that. And, um, and that combined with reduced density and masks uh, can really drop the risk to very low levels. And, you know, I, you know, I haven't looked at the data recently, but I suspect it's the same. For this entire period, we have not lost one child due to COVID in this city. Uh, but we have lost many children due to gun violence. Uh, and, you know, I, one of the best ways to prevent gun violence is to have every kid get a good education and get a good job. So I, I really would like to get the children back in the classroom. And the buildings themselves, uh, the buildings themselves, uh, have we, do you feel that the funding that is necessary uh, to bring these buildings um, to the point where they're safe and, as you referenced, where ventilation is proper, do you feel like the funding is there? I, and, I, and the reason I bring this up is in talking to one principal, uh, he shared with me that they, in, in his windows they basically put wood frames around one of those old fans uh, uh, to create ventilation in the building and, and that that was a concern uh, of yeah. his. Um, again, we've got to allay fear. Um, uh, uh, is the city working towards making sure that that the educators and the administrators understand that the funding is there to get their buildings where they need to be in order for it to be safe? Yeah, so it's you know no secret that the uh, the school buildings in Philadelphia are very old and uh, lots of deferred maintenance, and so they're they're not in great shape, uh, and so the, uh, the school district doesn't have the uh, the funding or the time to go and renovate each one of those buildings to have a really state-of-the-art heating, ventilation, and air conditioning system. Uh, but I've looked into this issue because it's such an important issue, and I've learned that a very inexpensive box fan that you put in a window can give you excellent ventilation. Uh, and it, so it may look cheap. It may look uh, like it's really not doing much. It may look inappropriate. But you may very well get better ventilation in a classroom with that fan in the window than you will with a, uh, a fancy HVAC system. So I think that is a, uh, you know, we, we are making recommendations to restaurants about how they can improve the ventilation in restaurants. And, and it definitely includes that option of just if you, you can't upgrade your HVAC system, put in a fan. And we talk about how they do that. So I think that's a good solution to this. Um, now, ventilation is 
one piece of the safety strategy you used in a school. There's also reducing the number of people there, wearing masks, keeping a distance. You put all those together, I do think that these schools uh, can be safe, uh, and I think we should. it's important enough to get our kids back in the classroom that uh, we should do it at this point. Last question, and I know this is what our Philly Favor listeners really want to hear. Um, they hear on the news all the time that uh, end of the year, we may see a return to normalcy. Uh, I saw one report by Bloomberg uh, yesterday that said if herd immunity is truly 75%, then the world won't reach herd immunity until 2024, which floored me. Uh, Can you give us some light at the end of the tunnel or just your educated opinion as to when Philadelphians can expect to move back to some sense of normalcy, businesses able to reopen, churches able to have services, families able to gather and hug one another. When, when do you see that happening in your educated opinion? Yeah, so this is just a guess, and don't hold me to it because there's, you know, I've called things wrong before and things can change. <laughs> Excuse me, but I'm going to guess sometime uh, in the fall uh, we will have vaccinated enough people to where the viruses are circulating at low levels. Uh, now, but I don't think we're going to be able to throw away the masks uh, in 2021. I think probably it'll be 2022 before we do that. And I think we're going to have to live with this virus one way or the other for a long time, unfortunately. Uh, it, we're not going to eradicate it from this earth. And so we're all going to be taking some sort of precautions over the long term, which is part of the reason why we you know, worked with restaurants to improve their ventilation, thinking well, this is not just a short-term thing. We're done with it, and that's the end. Uh, we're going to have to figure out how to reduce the likelihood of spreading respiratory viruses in every setting, for a long time. Wow. Well, Dr. Thomas Farley, you have given us some great information today. I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and talk to the listeners of Philly's Favor 100.7 FM and 99.5 HD3. I want you to know that you have a platform here as you do across the rest of the city. But I want you to know from me that you have a platform here to get information out uh, to the community at any time you need it. Thank you for the work you do, and God bless you, my friend. Okay, thank you for the opportunity. All right, bye-bye. Billy's favorite listeners, I want to welcome you back into the pastor's office. And again, we, we certainly want to thank Dr. Farley, uh, the Philadelphia Health Commissioner, for being with us today uh, to talk about all of the issues surrounding vaccines and vaccinations. But it is my pleasure uh, to bring into the pastor's office uh, a gentleman uh, who has pastored the Mount Airy Church of God in Christ Uh, for over 10 years. He started there in 2010. Uh, Since he's been there, they have grown that ministry exponentially. Uh, He has welcomed over 2,000 individuals into the body of Christ. They've invested over a million dollars into infrastructure. Uh, Add to that the fact that he's held many positions in various organizations uh, across the city, uh, is well-respected and called upon by the political leaders uh, of our city uh, when there are issues that arise that impact the communities that we serve. Uh, And let me just say this, one of the great pulpiteers of our time uh, who knows how to dissect a text uh, and bring it to you in a way that you will understand and that you will truly be blessed. Uh, when you hear him. So I want to welcome into the pastor's office this Sunday afternoon, Bishop J. Lewis Felton. Bishop Felton, come on in the pastor's office. How are you today? Real good, Reverend Jonathan Mason. Thank you so much for the opportunity to engage in Sunday afternoon dialogue with you. No, no, no. This is my pleasure to have you here. I remember uh, the last time I saw you uh, was when you were doing revival, when you were conducting revival uh, for the great Dr. Paul Lee, uh, and I want you to know we're still talking about those messages that you lifted up uh, during that few-day period. So we thank God for the blessing that he's placed on your life, the anointing, uh, and we're just happy to expose you to our Philly's Favor audience. Well, thank you, uh, Reverend Mason. It's a blessing to be in the great city of Philadelphia. The Lord has certainly uh, favored us in this city, uh, the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection, and uh, we certainly thank God that you and I have been blessed today 
to engage in this pastoral dialogue. Now, I want to ask you a question, Pastor, and, and, and it, it, it really, I don't know, I think at the beginning of this pandemic, uh, back last March, uh, I received, I started receiving calls from members, uh, you know, Pastor, you, you, you haven't been by to visit. Uh, Pastor, what are we going to do about our youth? Uh, Pastor, how are we going to uh, conduct services? They didn't realize, Pastor Felton, that I never pastored through a pandemic before, uh, and, and no pastor has. Uh, and so I really wanted to talk to you today about pastoring through this pandemic uh, and, 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 and how you've been able to navigate. Now, Mount Airy Church of God in Christ is one of the larger churches in our city, uh, you're used to preaching to a full house multiple times each Sunday. Uh, as of March 16th last year, uh, most of our churches went dark other than virtual services. Uh, talk to me about that initial experience uh, in March of last year and how it impacted you as a preacher of the gospel and as a pastor of a congregation that you love. Well, Reverend Mason, this is indeed the 12th month that we have engaged in ministry during this pandemic. Uh, last year, uh, the women of our church uh, had what's called a Hattitude Luncheon on February the 29th, where they wore their Sunday hats and the pride was given to uh, the person or persons who had uh, the most outstanding hat and that was sponsored by uh, Mrs. Bernice Patton. And she had said to me, you know, Pastor, I'd like to have this event in the springtime when the weather's warm. But it so happened that the Lord allowed that leap year, that extra day to fall on Saturday, February 29th. So I said to her, let's step on out on faith and use this Saturday. And that was the last major event we had together. Wow. as a congregation in the year of 2020. Uh, in, we got into March on March 8th. Uh, we had Dr. Quentin Robinson to come from the Lutheran Seminary with Preaching with Power. He spoke at 7.30 that morning, and it was supposed to continue throughout that week. By Wednesday and Thursday of that week, Preaching with Power services were being canceled. Uh, so I vividly remember uh, when this uh, whole... Uh, pandemic situation began to unravel our schedule of services. But I was blessed to preach a couple of sermons that sort of uh, gave us a sense of where we were headed. One of them uh, was from Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus, after fasting 40 days, was driven by the Spirit to be tempted of the devil. And the sermon was entitled, This is Only a test. Mm. Uh, and uh, that helped us to realize the fact that even though we kept getting different messages, mixed messages, oh, you'll be back in your church by Holy Week, you'll be back by Mother's Day, you'll be back by Fourth of July, they kept moving the goalpost, and we didn't get back in at all, period. And we had to encourage our people because, you know, the people look forward to coming together to fellowship. It's a lifeline. That's right. But the Lord helped us to realize that we were being tested and that we would come through it with a testimony. Uh, another sermon uh, that I uh, preached was when Jesus told the disciples to launch out into the deep. And we talked about venturing into the uncharted waters of ministry. And so the Lord is now taking us into areas of ministry where none of us have ventured before. To venture is to risk, and that means that in growing our ministries in this season, we have to risk uh, going into areas or directions that we've never done before. There were churches that didn't even have uh, video ministries. There were churches that didn't have Internet uh, capability, websites, uh, video broadcasts, none of that. And so all of us have been challenged to do things that we have never done before. And for us, after that first five months that we were shut down, I couldn't take it anymore. I, I know the people were seeing me, but we couldn't interact. I couldn't see them. So we stepped out on faith the first Sunday in August, 
and had services outside on the parking lot. We had drive-in church, mm. and we've been having drive-in church ever since. It snowed on us, rain on us. We've had storms, had cold temperatures. We were there watch meeting. We were there Christmas morning at 9 o'clock. But God has prospered us. Even souls have been added, Reverend Mason, uh, during this season. So we're just thankful to God because his grace is sufficient yes, and his strength is perfected in our weakness. Uh, I, I, talk, I, I hear you talk about stepping out into the deep, into uncharted waters. And, and you're right, Pastor. There are churches here in, in, in the neighborhood where the station is located uh, that have basically been dark since the pandemic because they did not have uh, those, uh, the, the Internet, cameras, etc. cetera. Uh, but when I think about Mount Airy Church of God, you've always had an excellent media ministry. So I know the transition from a technological standpoint uh, was, was, was probably smoother than most. However, the transition from not being able to interact with the people transition of not being able to go into the hospitals and visit the sick, the transition of not being able to properly funeralize uh, members who have served. Uh, Pastor, how did that, how were you able to navigate those waters? Uh, how did that impact you as a pastor? Because let's face it, I'd like to say we do this because we love the people. Uh, we do this because God has called us to do it. And not being connected to the people is tough for pastors. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, you know, Reverend Mason, uh, it has been an emotional roller coaster. There's no question about the fact that uh, this uh, pandemic has taken a strong emotional toll upon all of us, including pastors. And so, you know, you, you have to uh, get a radically different prayer life when you have to deal with the fact that uh, there have been fluctuations in uh, income. You have had to radically redevelop programs in order to reach people. Now, uh, you have to pursue methods uh, that uh, you've never used before. You, you have to do Zoom calls now, conference calls. Uh, you have to use the email blast, text blast. I've, I've had to use that uh, phone-a-thon uh, situation to send out uh, recorded telephone messages. But one of the things that helped us, you talked about churches that did not have that video or technical capability. As we prepared for our 50th anniversary celebration back in 2016, uh, that's when we uh, did that million-dollar line of credit and we invested in gutting the entire sanctuary. We ripped out the carpet from the choir stand all the way out uh, to the front door. And just the carpet alone cost us $100,000. We invested in a $400,000 PA system. Uh, the speaker columns that are anchored from the steel in the ceiling uh, are 1,000 pounds each. We have two of those speaker columns. That forced us to move from analog to digital. We had to move from mono to stereo. We had to get the cameras uh, that were remote and digital. And so with those cameras, when I record services, uh, then I don't have to have a person standing there to operate the camera. We can use the remote control on the cameras. And so the Lord knew what he was getting ready to do. He was just getting us prepared for it, I've had to do funerals at gravesides because it was unsafe to bring them uh, inside the sanctuary. It's, it's an emotional toll on you yeah. when you have to minister to people in a setting where you can't have the family to bring their loved one's body into the church, uh, but uh, you have to say a few words of comfort to them uh, next to the grave, and then there's no family dinner after. There's no breaking bread, no repast. It hurts, uh, Reverend Mason. Let me tell you, it has been a painful situation, but God has to meet you in your pain and comfort you and give you strength to be strong enough to put other people on your shoulder and carry them uh, through this time. We have literally preached through the valley of the shadow of death, but God has given us grace not 
to fear any evil, not to fear uh, the virus. We have maintained social distancing. We've done the mask, uh, the temperature check for anybody that's coming inside the building. It's been a challenge. But like you said, we love the people. And because you love the people, it's worth it to go the extra mile. Yes, sir. One of the one of the things that has been a focal point of, of my ministry uh, here at uh, Northeast Baptist Church has been our young people. Uh, it's been our children. Uh, and I've got to tell you, Bishop, uh, I saw on Facebook uh, just a few days ago a picture of one of our young people that I haven't seen since last March. Uh, and, and the child, it looks like, has, has grown about three or four inches uh, yes. <laughs> it looks like, yes, looks, looks like he's ready to go to college. Uh, and, 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 and I'm concerned about our young people because you know as well as I do, having been, pa- and past- been pastoring since 1991, some of these young people, we're the only fathers they have. Uh, we're the male role models that they have in their life, and we've been disconnected from the children. How do we help our children uh, through this pandemic. There, I used to feed uh, about 60 kids every Thursday night, and I know they needed those meals. Uh, yes. Unfortunately, we can't do that now. We tried for a while, but we couldn't keep it up. How do we still impact the lives of our young people in the midst of this pandemic? It's been a challenge, uh, Dr. Mason, but uh, what the Lord has blessed us to do is that through the pandemic, because we've had the outdoor services, we've had a number of parents who have continued to bring their children. And even when it was so cold that uh, we couldn't gather around the podium at a safe distance as we'd been, then they would sit in their cars. A couple of Sundays ago, uh, we had the children who were at the service to just come and stand in front so that the congregation could see that our children are yet coming to church. And then we've had uh, several occasions where we put a screen up on the parking lot so that the youth can watch a movie together to have some kind of physical interaction or fellowship. And then, of course, our youth ministry has had uh, Zoom calls and conference calls with our youth. Uh, One of the things that blessed us is uh, several weeks ago, uh, we had a memorial to uh, Officer Loretha Vaird, who on January 2nd, uh, 1996, became uh, the first police officer who was a woman that was killed in the line of duty. And inasmuch as we now have a black woman sheriff, Sheriff Rochelle Bilal, and a black woman police commissioner, uh, Daniel Outlaw, as well as a black woman pres- vice president, we've just saluted women uh, in such leadership positions. And Sheriff Rochelle Bilal, a few weeks later, uh, was able through the Sheriff's Department to bring a truck uh, so that we could give out food boxes, fresh food, uh, vegetables and fruits and milk and, and other items to 500 families. And just to see the families coming, to see young people uh, receiving uh, those boxes was such a significant boost to our morale. We have been the testing site on several different occasions for COVID-19 with the Black Doctors Consortium. We're waiting now to find out when we will be able to be a vaccination site. So the church is the lifeline of the community. You don't have to be a member of Mount Airy for us to be a member of you, the community. And because we are the community's church, we are learning that we are even more effective now outside the doors of the church than we were inside where people couldn't see us or hear us. You know, Pastor, one of the things that, um, that we learn uh, as we study Scripture is that God at times shakes up our normal to get our attention. Yes, uh, he, 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 he disrupts. Uh, what we consider to be uh, uh, the daily, uh, the things that we've come to take for granted uh, in order to get a message through to us. You know, again, I've, I've heard you dissect Scripture. 
uh, and and I admire what you do and how you do it. But talk to us, Pastor. What do you feel the Lord is trying to share with us during this period? Well, you know, uh, Pastor Mason, uh, these are end times. There's no question about it. We are living in the last days, and uh, the Lord is indeed stirring the minds of his people, and preaching is more significant now than it has ever been. Uh, So is the outreach of the church as a kingdom community. Uh, You know, not only is it that we've had to deal with the pandemic in the past year, that's a physical manifestation of the critical times in which we live, but we have to deal with a political pandemic and a spiritual pandemic in as much as we have had to wrestle with the insanity of an administration that would even bring an insurrection uh, to the Capitol with homemade domestic terrorists threatening the lives of the vice president as well as senators and representatives. And then after it takes place, to have uh, Republican senators that did not even have the spine to admit that what had happened on live television didn't even happen. Everybody saw it, that Trump had incited the mob to attack the Capitol, and then you're going to say, well, he really didn't mean it like that, so we can't convict him. We live in a sick country. It's a sick society, and people of faith are going to have to be the one that rise up and preach the truth. Now, there have been just weeks after weeks and months where right-wing extremist congregations lied about the election and said that uh, Biden would never be president, and now they're having to walk those lies back. We have a crisis in our religious community, our faith community, and that is the reason why, as uh, African-American ministers in this Black History Month, we have to deal with the fact that racism in the pulpits of America has existed since we got here 16, 19, 402 years ago. We have to preach a gospel of liberation, of redemption, a message of hope, uh, just so that our people can spiritually uh, keep their heads above water. The challenge is real, and now is the time for us to rise up to meet it. I've I've been reading a lot of James Cone. uh, Yes, sir. And... uh, you know, as we all know, he is the father of uh, liberation theology, uh, yes. and 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 I, I truly believe that 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 black pastors who are not tapping into that 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 uh, type of preaching are missing the mark right now, uh, and 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 we've got to talk about uh, the uplift of our people because, and I have a saying: until everybody has a seat at the table of success. None of us have a seat at the table of success. Uh, we You're rise right. together. We rise together. But I do want to ask you, uh, after having watched uh, Henry Louis Gates' documentary uh, over the last few nights uh, and watching, and, and you know, you can't ever please all the folks. I was watching a, uh, a, a Zoom meeting last night where, where a bunch of preachers were just criticizing the content, uh, not understanding that when it's a theatrical production, you can't do 37 episodes. You can't do 150 hours. You can't, you can't cover every topic. Uh, but one of the things that did come through uh, uh, in the documentary was the pivotal position, uh, pivotal role that the church has played uh, in every movement of black people since we've been on this continent. Uh, And and my question to you is, do you feel that the church today uh, is fulfilling its role uh, in the midst of, as you say, a racial pandemic and a health pandemic? And what can we do or how, how can we step up to be better advocates for the community, and most of all, better better representatives of Christ here down on earth. Well, Dr. Mason, you've raised the issue right there. Uh, we must do better. We have not done as well as we could have. You have some pastors who are afraid to address these issues. But the fact of the matter is Jesus was a justice preacher. And any time you feed the hungry and you heal the sick and you cast demons out, Anytime you still the tempest and walk upon waters, if you preach the gospel to the poor, you're restoring esteem and hope uh, to a marginalized and disenfranchised community. Uh, that's what we are called to do. And that's the reason why um, 
Dr. Mason, we are having a gun uh, buyback program on uh, Saturday, February the 27th in our Family Life Center because uh, we have internalized the racism that has been perpetrated upon us for 402 years and the poison has caused us to become self-destructive. We're killing our own young men. We're destroying each other. And so we are going to have to step in to save us from us. And that is why we are engaging in this gun buyback program Saturday morning, uh, February 27th at 10 a.m. at Mount Airy. You know, our church was founded by Bishop Ernest Morris Sr., uh, whose birthday is next week. We're celebrating his birthday this Sunday morning out on the grounds at 1045. Bishop Morris have known each other, uh, Bishop Morris and I, for 40 years. And uh, it just so happened the Lord blessed our paths to cross through a cousin of his who lived in Michigan, where I came here from, Bishop Isaac King, Jr. And we met in uh, 1981 and have kept that fellowship alive for 40 years. And so, you know, some people who didn't know that we had roots under the ground uh, much stronger than any branches that we had above ground, I didn't realize that we go way back. And so in coming to Philadelphia, uh, the Lord has blessed us to engage in an intergenerational partnership in ministry that has been a revolutionary examples for others. Uh, I believe that it can work, and I, I know that it's it's something that involves a certain temperament uh, among individuals. You know, this has been tried before. It was a, a very testy situation uh, in Chicago uh, with Otis Moss and uh, Jeremiah Wright, uh, but somehow Otis Moss III uh, was able to work through that, mm-hmm. uh, and now people see the benefit of it. You know, Martin Luther King Sr. tried it with Otis Moss Jr., and I think it lasted about six months. So you have to have a certain kind of temperament, and the Lord moved us to adopt the mindset of a servant leader. Jesus said, he that would be the greatest among you, let him be your servant. And through servant leadership, uh, we have been able to mold a kind of model in ministry that is not uh, preoccupied with positions, titles, but is about actually serving God through serving his people. That is what has proven critical to our success, Dr. Mason. Amen, amen, amen. Well, listen, I want to, first of all, thank you uh, for sharing this time with us this afternoon. Uh, you You can't imagine how blessed we are to have you. And I know that the listeners to Philly's Favor 100.7 FM have really been blessed by what you've shared. Two things I want to do before we leave the pastor's office today. One, I want you to just give a little more information about the gun buyback program. I know this is a, something that you're doing in partnership uh, with the city council. And then I'd love for you to tell our listeners uh, how they can tune in to a broadcast uh, from the Mount Airy Church of God in Christ or how they can attend physically uh, and, uh, and, and be blessed by the Word of God. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Mason. Uh, this gun buyback program uh, is sponsored in conjunction with our city of Philadelphia. Uh, that will be held on that Saturday, uh, a week from now, on uh, the grounds of Mount Airy Church. And, of course, we will have law enforcement there and uh, a presence from our uh, city leadership and uh, a person simply need to bring the unloaded weapon to the church, and they will be remunerated uh, for each firearm that is uh, presented. Uh, we, uh, we see the need uh, for just stepping in and letting people know they need to think about what they're doing, about their actions. Uh, the Bible says a soft answer turneth away wrath. And so we have to teach our young people about conflict resolution. We have to teach them uh, about being peacemakers. And so that's what we're trying to do is to restore the peace in the communities in which we live so that it would be safe for our children and unborn generations. Now, uh, we uh, are on the grounds each Sunday at 1045, uh, but if an individual would go to vimeo.com, 
forward slash Mount Ericogic, they can view our services uh, at 7.30 on Sunday morning, which are virtual only, as well as the 10.45 service, which are live and in person. And for the past 10 years, we have broadcast on WNAP, Gospel Highway 11, 1110 on the AM dial. But of course, uh, as you know, uh, WNAP uh, has sold that station, so we will only be broadcasting through the end of February on the live radio portion. Uh, Bishop, uh, Fel- we- Bishop Felton, you know you're on a gospel radio station right now, right? <laughs> and that's, we're going to have to find a way to work with you. Yes, sir. Because, uh, you know, WNAP is, is disappearing, so thank God uh, for your wonderful station and for your leadership as a voice for justice in our community. And we're going to talk about how we can partner together to bring the message to the people. Sounds like a plan. Well, uh, Dr. J. Lewis Felton, I want to thank you for joining us in the pastor's office today. Uh, And we look forward to working with you, uh, not for the short term, but for the long term, as we look uh, to expose people to the great gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless you, sir. Thank you so much, Pastor Mason. Wishing you all the best to the family of the Northeast uh, Baptist Church and, of course, Uh, Mount Airy Church family, we're just grateful that we are one in Christ. Amen, amen. Thank you so much. Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Faber. Yeah. Take a minute, turn the radio yeah. up. Take a seat in the pastor's office. Right. Find the frequency, yeah. tune in. Get up, word. With Reverend Jonathan Mason. Oh, yes, you should. Take a minute, turn the radio up. And take a seat. Just for a minute, just for a minute, let's talk about it just for a minute.